It's the Friday, the eve of summer of Memorial Day weekend, and it's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. We will not have an episode on Monday. We're taking the holiday. I'm Chris Quinn, here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, Courtney Astolfi, and I have a special announcement that you're hearing first. We are going to try to have on this podcast a discussion with the listeners. We can accommodate up to a thousand guests that we can bring on one at a time. And the purpose of the discussion will be, can we come up with a framework for the inevitable constitutional amendment that will be before voters in Ohio to recognize the right to abortion? This will be after the legislature outlaws it. This is pretty much a guaranteed path. There are a lot of things to talk about with that. We're going to do it at noon on June 7th. That's a Tuesday. If you're available and you want to join us, send an email to cquinn at cleveland.com and put abortion podcast in the subject line. As we get closer, we'll send you a link and you can join us. We've been talking about this for a long time. Laura Johnston and I will be the hosts. It'll be an interesting endeavor, probably with lots of glitches. But Laura... This will be interesting. I I really do think this will be interesting and hopefully thought provoking. I hope that we make people reconsider what they believed and and kind of, you know, listen to each other. Well, and this is a conversation for the majority of America that believes there is a right to abortion. If you're completely anti-abortion, you believe abortion is murder, respect that, but don't participate in this. And if you're of the other mind where abortions are right and there should be no parameters and nobody should say anything good good we respect that but really not part of this conversation we're looking for people of good faith that are struggling with what the rules should be to talk about how you would fashion that constitutional amendment see quinn at cleveland.com and put abortion podcast in your subject line Let's get started. Would Ohio's expected prohibition on abortion criminalize in vitro fertilization? What are some of the other predicted unintended consequences? Laura, the hearings are taking place because, as we just said, Ohio is rushing to make it illegal, even though the majority of Ohioans don't want them to do that. What are some of the people testifying saying about their trigger law that's moving through the legislature? Yeah, there are some unintended consequences that I I had not thought of and I don't know that most people had thought about. But doctors said that the way that House Bill 598 defines a, quote, unborn child as a homo sapien organism that has been fertilized, that definition could make IVF illegal because you have more than one Um, embryo that you could implant, that it also would likely increase the state's already high infant and woman morbidity and mortality rates, intrude on a patient-physician relationship, possibly result in physicians fleeing the state because they can't fully practice medicine. These are all things that the doctor said during the third committee hearing for this bill where basically it was opponents testifying. Um, The Senate president doesn't want any trigger bill to pass until he sees a Supreme Court decision because he wants it to be airtight, but this is still happening anyway. Yeah, it it is fascinating because it's not what people want. Clearly, every poll shows it's not what people want. People do recognize the right to abortion, but these guys are hanging red meat for the far-right fringes of their party, and because of gerrymandering, they have the disproportionate representation in the legislature. So they're going to ram this through, but it's guaranteed to, to have the, the immediate rebound of a constitutional amendment that'll be on the ballot next year to recognize the right. Well, I mean, I don't know that they care. I mean, if they cared, they probably wouldn't be doing this. I mean, the Senate president is saying don't. 
and they're doing it anyway. What's interesting is the doctors brought up some stuff I hadn't thought about. Abortion's already banned after 20 weeks in Ohio. That's before some fatal birth defects and congenital disabilities are are known. So people who choose to have an abortion because their child is um, is won't live anyway has to travel out of state and that could happen more and more and they're saying people with means are going to travel out of state it's the people without means that are going to be stuck in this very difficult situation and and so there the proportion of people that have to suffer through their entire pregnancies will be disproportionate by class income ethnicity and race like i mean think about that I'm a bit surprised that you're not already seeing the move on the constitutional amendment because this is inevitable and it just it it this the only way it's going to get fixed. You can't count on the lawmakers. They're dishonest. They don't represent people. The only way for Ohioans to get what they want on this is to do it themselves. And yet I don't think I've seen anything about where something is being discussed yet. I guess it'll come. Check out the story on cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. Lee Weingart has pegged a good bit of his campaign for Cuyahoga County executives so far on opposing any more spending of precious tax dollars on the failed medical mart. Now we find he was one of the chief proponents to get the thing built and the money for it in the first place. Courtney, I can't believe this story. When I first heard it, I thought, no, there's no way he could be that dumb. This is hilarious, right? You can hear like the circus music playing in the background. Um, (laughs) You know, right there blazoned on his lobbying company's website. They're touting. He's touting openly to the public that that he ushered through the changes in Ohio law that were needed to build this whole thing back in, you know, this happened in, in 07 was when he got these changes approved. So prior to the to, to Weingart's lobbying efforts, you know, convention centers were to be owned by visitor bureaus. Um, he ushered through changes that allowed the county to own and manage the convention center and also helped add a section to the ORC that lets commissioners raise a quarter percent sales tax to fund it. So not only he also contributed to to taxpayers footing the bill, um, which is wild. Well, well, what's wild about that is he's the guy that when Armin Budish said, I'm going to make that quarter percent tax permanent, said, no, no, I want that on the ballot. I want that on the ballot. And he's the guy that got the law put in that allows them to do it unilaterally. I mean, that is almost the height of hypocrisy. I, what surprises me about this is back in 2007, he, he didn't know that 15 years later he might be running for county executive. So, fine. He lobbied for it. He got the business for it. Everybody's got to earn an income somehow, pay for their family. What, what boggles my mind is knowing that he did all that, that he opened his mouth at all in the campaign. He could have just not said anything, right? And, you know, the issue comes up. He doesn't have to say anything. Well, they're going to decide that before the next executive's in, so it doesn't really matter what I think. But he went large. I mean, he has pounded on Chris Ronane for waffling on it, and he has screamed from the mountains that, no, this should stop. This is a wasted effort, and this should be on the ballot. And it's like, okay, this was guaranteed to blow up in your face the way it is now. You know, what I found interesting here is when our reporter, Caitlin Durbin, first talked to him about it, he like he didn't remember or he said he, he wasn't aware that he'd done this work a while ago. Um, and then she talked to him later and he's like, oh, yep, you're right. I We did do this work, got $49,000 paid by the county to do this work. But like if you're running for county executive, 
and you did genuinely forget it when the reporter first first brings it to you like like button up your campaign you know get your stuff together a little bit well and how do you forget you made money on the thing that is in the center of your campaign i mean that's more troubling it's a, you, your memories that week what else don't you remember it, i really i did not believe this when this first came up Layla called and said, hey, we got a great story going. It's like, no way. There's just <laughs> no way that could be true. And it's true. And he really does look like a bit of a buffoon today. It's Today in Ohio. What's the Hail Mary approach one Ohio Democrat is using to deal with the refusal by elected Republicans to follow the Ohio Constitution and adopt fair legislative maps? Lisa, this is tilting at windmills, but we like tilting at windmills. What's at stake here? Yeah, you got to love this guy's gumption. This is uh, Democratic Parma lawmaker Jeff Crossman, who was also the Democratic nominee for Ohio Attorney General. He sent a complaint to the state highway patrol requesting an investigation into the redistricting committee's failure to pass the constitutional maps. So uh, he cited an Ohio law that says, quote, no public servant shall recklessly fail to perform an express a duty expressly imposed by law. Uh, the charge would be dereliction of duty. It's a second degree misdemeanor. It would be 90 days in jail and or a $750 fine. The State Highway Patrol, why it ended up there is that the, they have jurisdiction over the Ohio State House. So this investigation, if it goes on, I assume it will, findings will be handed to, to the Columbus City Attorney, Zach Klein, and then he will decide if charges will be forwarded to the Franklin County Municipal Court. Yeah, you know, we talked way back when DeWine and company started to abrogate their their responsibilities about what what remedies there are. And and we saw that if you don't do your job, you can be removed from the job, but it's a really laborious process for it costs money, you have to get petitions signed. I mean, they're clearly abrogating their responsibilities. They clearly have defied the Constitution. So they qualify to get thrown out of office for malfeasance, misfeasance, whatever the term was. But nobody has the time or money to go ahead and do it. This is a different take. We didn't think about this one. This is this is less onerous on any individual, but it puts it into the hands of criminal investigators. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting uh, tactic. Well, I, we don't know that it'll work in this red state, but it's you can't fault him for trying. And Dan Tierney, uh, Governor DeWine's flack, said, this is a political stunt. And it's like like the whole map-making process wasn't a political stunt. And they also accused Crossman of faking an illness because they, you know, apparently he didn't come to the state house to vote on a couple of constitutional amendments on Wednesday, but he was spotted later at a fundraiser. They, so they accused him of faking an illness, which is pretty lame and desperate. Yeah. You got to be careful about accusing somebody of faking an illness because you don't really know what's going on. I mean, during, during the pandemic, I think all of us have been very hesitant to question anyone that says they're not feeling well. It's a, that's a risky move. I, Dan Tierney, he's the spokesman. He's going to say what he says. There can be no doubt that Mike DeWine completely failed the citizens of Ohio in his role on the redistricting commission along with the rest of them. They didn't do their job. They, they willfully defied orders of the Supreme Court to not do their job. And if you don't do your job, there, there, is, there should be remedies. Because when you ran for office and took an oath to serve the citizens and follow the Constitution, you haven't done it. So 
Dan Tierney could say whatever he wants. Mike DeWine is clearly in the wrong here. Good for Jeff Crossman. It's today in Ohio. With a little more than two weeks before Ohioans can carry concealed guns without permits, we took a look at how we got here. The long succession of more and more liberal gun laws in the state. Laura, what really comes through in Jeremy Pelzer's story is the the 20-year plotting of pro-gun uh, people to get to this day. this They even said, they called this is the brass right, ring. Right, exactly. And that it started with the legalization of concealed firearms with a permit, and you had to take a class in 2004, and that was kind of the beginning. And there are a lot of gun rights groups pushing for these changes. The most important is probably the Buckeye Firearms Association, which was founded in 2002, and with the goal of lobbying Ohio lawmakers to pass these various bills that loosen state gun laws, not only for their own sake, but eventually to get to this brass ring with the concealed carry without a license. And they took a pretty incremental approach and a lot of bills along the way until a group called Ohio Gun Owners showed up. That was run by a guy named Chris Dore, and they took a no-compromise attitude towards gun rights, basically saying saying to lawmakers, if you don't vote for these bills, we're going to run primary opponents against you in the next next election. So bullying Republicans into supporting more and more um, loose gun regulations. Yeah, I it it really what <laughs> you you want to say it was almost sinister because you had the Dayton shooting and then so they wait they wait for the Fuhrer to die down and they just keep coming and coming and coming and they were very honest in this story about pretty much being diabolical in every step of the way to get here this this was what they wanted when they first did concealed mm-hmm. carry the, it started with the permit and then goes further and further and bill seitz is quoted in there saying you know 20 years ago i, I wouldn't have thought that this could happen because we didn't even have the concealed carry with the permit but as we got closer and closer, it seemed like, yeah, we can do this. Yeah, and they wanted to pass this. They, they failed in the 2020 uh, session, and they wanted to pass it in 2022 when Mike DeWine was facing a primary opponent because he would feel pushed into a corner on signing this. And if you remember, he waited till the 10th day, and then he signed it. And rep- you know, reporters asked him, how can you do this? You're the one who was pushing for more gun laws after Dayton. And he said, you know, you get put in a hard place sometimes as governor, and he made a decision. Honestly, though, we don't have the same kind of Republicans in the state legislature that we did in 2004. These are a lot of people elected on the coattails of President Donald Trump. They're culture warriors who are a lot more socially conservative than establishment Republicans. So they didn't take a lot of arm twisting. Yeah, we were talking in the newsroom the other day Uh, One of our incoming reporters saw a Facebook discussion because a woman was walking her Mm -hmm. gregarious dog and a guy coming in the opposite direction pulled out his gun and said, your dog's going to get shot because the dog was gregarious. And what was disturbing is all the commenters were like, well, yeah, he'd be in his rights to shoot the dog if the dog lunged that at him. That just so That's... blew my mind. I mean, it, to be fair, it's a beagle mix. We are not talking a Rottweiler or a pit bull. And that was in the next door comment. And I mean, I walk a, an 85 pound golden retriever who sometimes chases after squirrels and I can't keep up with him. Like, is somebody going to come shoot my dog? That's terrifying. 
Yeah, I, I, it is terrifying because I've always had goldens. They're gregarious, especially when they're young, and they wouldn't hurt a fly. But man, if somebody pulled out a gun to shoot them, that would. What'll happen is that people walking their dogs will start carrying guns. So when the guy pulls out his gun to shoot the dog, the dog owner will pull out a gun and shoot the guy, and we're gonna have just open warfare on the streets. Thanks to this effort, which you can read all about on Cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. If workers learned during the pandemic that their lives are better when they work from home, and if employers want to keep their workers happy and on the job, why is the city of Cleveland trying to thwart all that happiness by seducing the workers into coming back downtown? Now, Courtney, this is a way of asking the question in a facetious manner, but there is a kernel here. The the city is basically saying, we don't care how they feel. We want their money. So we're going to do what we can to seduce them into return. Yeah, this comes down to revenue. The city's general fund is historically comprised, you know, about two thirds of income taxes. And and that's really at risk with changes in work from home and people staying in their suburban homes instead of reporting downtown. So this is all aimed at the bottom line, which it is a serious concern, so the city ought to be doing something to try, but we'll, 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 we'll see if this isn't an approach that will really make a dent. I'm, I'm interested to see if it really does too much. Um, so the city and the downtown Cleveland Alliance rolled out yesterday plans to have, like, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, block parties downtown, um, shutting down the streets once a week to have games and a place to have food and and they want to bring music to the downtown malls which have never really been activated substantially so they're trying to make downtown cleveland more attractive for office workers as as part of the strategy to get people to come back yeah uh, well let me ask you you we're all working from home would this work it would work for me laura I, I don't know that a block party is going to get me uh, to leave my suburban home, but I th- I applaud them. It's the summertime. It's great to be with people and enjoying the city. And you know, Steve Litt had a big story about what kind of programming people want to see on the malls. I mean, it's depressing to have these beautiful spaces that people are not using. So, I mean, I don't think it's the most sinister thing. And I think it's a great time of year. I mean, they're they're not trying to do it when we're all huddled up in our scarves and our hats, right? So enjoy summer in Cleveland. It's a lovely time. Wait, 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 wait. But, 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 but they're trying to socially engineer. Well, the, I mean, they're the, giving people in... a reason to gather. I don't know that that's all bad. Yeah. Why not go with, if this is becoming a trend, why not ride the wave and attract people to live downtown because they don't want to work downtown and then feed that, close lanes of traffic, put that, up I mean, playgrounds. That's definitely... That's a definite point. They they should be doing it to make it attractive for everyone, not just people who commute downtown. Well, and downtown well, Cleveland and- Alliance even said, you know, to keep downtown lively, to keep the money flowing, um, we, we do need that resident piece, but we also need the worker piece. The resident piece alone mm-hmm. can't support it. Lisa. And, and I would like to point out, although you're not downtown anymore, that, you know, now Cleveland.com's newsroom is open one day a week and everyone who has been thrilled about it from all reports. One day a week, though. That, that's well, what they're that's the day it's they day should shut down the street and have a party. Then. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then we're not getting the work done that we're getting everybody together oh, for. Man. It's interesting. It's it's standing up against the tidal wave instead of riding the tidal wave and trying to capitalize on it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
Is it all's well that ends well for the case of the stolen $200,000 guitar in Cleveland? Lisa, what's the apparent happy ending to this story? Is it 200000 or 20000 I thought I, I it was it twenty. Be, when he said two hundred, I, I think was it's like, twenty thousand. Wow. Still an expensive oh, right. and, and beloved <laughs> guitar, but yeah. And the guitar is named La Rojita. It was recovered by the Cleveland Classical Guitar Society. This is such a feel-good story. This was stolen April first. Um, the Guitar is owned by Grammy-winning artist Berta Rojas. She had that guitar for 14 years. It's played in over 200 concerts. She was crestfallen. It was stolen from the car of the Guitar Society events manager, John Poor. They were eating lunch in Ohio City. But it looks like security cameras may have footage of the suspect a few blocks from that crime scene. But this is an interesting story how, how it, La Rojita made it back home. The, the guitar is fine. The buyer purchased it as a gift for somebody, but they happened to look up the details of the instrument and discovered it was stolen. And so they turned it over to the Classical Guitar Society, which is great. They could have said nothing. So somebody obviously knew how important this instrument was. And Ms. Rojas says, you know, La Rojita is my companion. It's my voice. She is thrilled to get him back. Her back. Yeah, the 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 person that provided it kept anonymity though, right? The, the, they Like we don't know who the buyer was or who the seller was, which Correct. which they were all fine with. But I wonder if if the story we're being told is true, or whether the thief finally realized I'm never oh. going to be able to sell this thing because the whole world is looking for it. Let me make up a story, create a fictitious name, and have somebody come get it off my hands. Oh, that that could be possible. But, you know, all she wanted was it back. She didn't care. They weren't going to ask questions anyway. She just wanted it back. And she wrote a wonderful letter to Cleveland and the Cleveland Media and the Preservation Society just thanking everybody for working so hard on behalf of her guitar. It really is kind of a community of musicians that came together to to get her her instrument. You are listening to Today in Ohio. How much does the Cleveland Metro Park Zoo spend each year on food for all the animals and what's on the grocery list? Laura, this is a fun this one. This is super fun. And Zachary Smith has three stories on all of the things that the, the animals at the zoo eat. And it ran yesterday, today, and tomorrow online. It'll be in the Plain Dealer over the weekend, along with some gorgeous photos from Dave Pekowitz. But the zoo spends about $630,000 on food for its 2,000 animals every year, which I think is low from what I expected. Yeah, me too. Food shipped all over the world. Mm -hmm. Fish can come from Norway and France. Plants come from Cleveland. 125,000 pounds of produce comes from all over the United States. But it's really cool. Like, koalas only eat the very, like, tenderest part of the eucalyptus. They spend about $68,000 on that every year. They use ground meat. Um, Carnivorous diets get hard-boiled chicken eggs, insects, seafood. Um, Herbivores like elephants and donkeys eat all sorts of things like corn, cucumber, mangoes, and blueberries. Um, they do get special insects for the insectivores, like obviously an anteater, who also loves avocado, I learned from this story. I, I really was surprised at the low bill. They clearly aren't shopping at Heinz because <laughs> this is way too cheap. I, I mean, I, I really, I thought it was going to be millions, and, and the fact that, that it's that low is kind of cool. Uh, but, man, what a variegated 
bunch of foods that you have to get in and make sure are fine for all the yeah, animals. And they're cool stuff. It all the time. Like it's not like these animals are getting the exact same food every day. Obviously, they're growing. They have different needs for different seasons, and so the the zookeepers are are always trying to get them the the right things for what they need. I'm glad they cooperated with it. They're not always the most cooperative people over at the Metro Parks. It's today in Ohio. How much will Cleveland's airport pay for the airport hotel that we talked about a few weeks back, one that is doing very poorly since the pandemic began, and what will become of that building? Courtney? Yeah, the city's on the hook for $12 million here to acquire the Sheraton Airport Hotel. That's a result of, you know, some court action and, 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 and an agreement that gets out of this lease with the hotel that that runs through 2048 so the city's got to pay out to get out of that long-term lease and um you know we we talked a little while ago airport hotels are starting to be less less needed uh and just with airport trends and air travel trends but um so the city's going to turn it into a parking lot probably yeah, they definitely need the parking spaces, uh, although there is no word on when they'll actually tear it down. But apparently it's closing the day after Memorial. Yeah, day. I thought that was interesting. Reporter Susan Glazer kind of got into it. She called to see if she could make a reservation and and they weren't taking they weren't taking reservations beyond that. So it looks like it's it's closing here soon. But no one officially said, yep, operations are over in a few days. OK, it's today in Ohio. Okay, here we go. In honor of this being the eve of our 2022 summer, I'm going to make a concession to the others on this podcast and throw open the floor for a beach glass discussion. Lisa, you're into it big time, and Laura is learning to drill holes in it, for crying out loud. What's the attraction? Lisa, you start. Well, and uh, there's a Facebook page called Lake Erie Love where people post their finds, you know, and it's mostly beach glass, although there's driftwood and others. But people, the common thread is it's their therapy. You're outdoors, you're in the sun, you're next to the lake, you've got the birds and everything. But when I first moved back to Cleveland in 2017, I kept going to Euclid Beach because it was my childhood park and it wasn't claimed by Metro Park, but I'm walking along enjoying it. And here's this beautiful piece of frosty seafoam glass just laying there in the surf. And so I pick it up, I look around, there's more, there's different colors, and I guess an addiction was born. But I typically go out, you know, maybe once a week or, you know, twice a month, and I, I have my own special honey hole <laughs> where I have, I've kept it a secret. But yeah, it's part of it is like, like people have said, it's therapy. They're outdoors, they're alone. They're communing with nature and they're finding these wonderful treasures. And the one thing about Lake Erie Love's Facebook page, too, is people post their crafts. I mean, Laura's drilling holes. She's going to make jewelry. There are beach glass festivals. There's one in Ashtabula coming up that's an annual one. But people make mosaics. They make stepping stones. I mean, you know, so it's a way to make trash into art. So when you're standing on your your secret place how, how much glass is around you are you surrounded it like is it like seashells at the ocean or is it a little more hard to find at my honey hole yes there's glass i mean i actually stood there one time and i was leaving glass behind oh, wow. because there was so much of it there. wow the thing is, i think it's like it's a treasure hunt right it, you just yeah. never know what you're going to find if the next step is going to be this gorgeous like cobalt blue or if you find a marble lake erie has 
marbles in it. And I've only found two mm-hmm. in my life. And there's no mm-hmm. exact reason why that we know of. It could be that people threw them in after souvenirs at Euclid Beach. There was a marble factory down in Akron. Maybe they came up the river or ballast and ships. We don't know. But they are such a unique thing to find. And then, yeah, I do make crafts with them. I've made so many like Christmas trees out of beach glass and given them as gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this idea that one day I'll have a charm bracelet full of it. But I, I think it's really pretty. And I know, Chris, you think I'm crazy. But like the front, I mean, they look like little jewels when they're the the gorgeous colors and they're perfectly frosted. And right. It's 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 always frosted. It's not polished shiny. It's it's usually frosted. Usually, I I mean sometimes if it's shiny, I throw it back in because you know what's right. the point? You say it's not cooked yet, but um, <laughs> right. Oh, you want it to be yeah. frosted? Yeah, absolutely. And yes. The cool is when you find the bottom full bottom of a bottle, right? And it says Cleveland, Ohio on it, like it used to be a Coke bottle. I think that's really mm-hmm. cool. And you yeah. just took a class so you can drill holes in it, which you said you did underwater. Yes, yes. I guess it's that a, contains it's the a Dremel drill, and you put it in water with the tip, and um, you just, yeah, it's, it's like a cordless thing, and you just kind of hold it down. And, yeah, it, I broke a lot of pieces trying to do it, but uh, the library actually had a class, which I thought was super cool. And there's Court- something, there, oh, no, I was just, I'll let Courtney jump in. I'll actually give her a way in. But um, there's actually something about holding a piece of, like, cornflower boot glass up to the sun and watching, you know, the sun shine through it. It just makes you, and I also collect bricks. I have an herb garden lined with bricks from, from Lake Erie. Some of them say Cleveland. Some say, you know, Bessemer. Some say Metal Block. Some say Collinwood. And actually, I offered Courtney a Collinwood brick, and she goes, I already got some. So bricks are another thing. <laughs> thing i'm picking up courtney you live by near the lake so i imagine you go down there and see this stuff do you collect it too? I, I do you know i really found it during the pandemic couldn't go anywhere couldn't see anyone and mm-hmm. and and i grew up by the lake i love the lake and and um being so close it it was my therapy during the pandemic quiet beauty i mean i I walk the beach and look for stuff even over winter, which was probably yes. crazy. Well, but then you can so find you a lot more stuff. Gets... No one else is looking. Do you all have like baskets and jars yes. and cans filled with this yes. stuff? Yeah. 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 <laughs> like hey, we're cleaning up later. Like the best stuff is in a vase, like on a on a shelf. But then there's like just mm-hmm. bags and in, in a desk drawer too. So, um, yeah. And you're getting your kids into oh, it. Oh yes. Well, they used to fight over over like who saw a piece, right? But you gotta you gotta like develop the eye to get the glint so that you're finding yes. it. <laughs> okay, well, it's the eve of Memorial Day weekend. Lots of people will be down by the lake. That's why we're talking about beach glass. Enjoy the treasure hunt. That does it for today in Ohio for Friday. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Courtney. Everybody have a good Memorial Day weekend. We will be back Tuesday to talk about the news.